Good evening or good morning, wherever you are. Welcome to our panel. We are going to be discussing stories that change the world. My name is Nelly. I'm from Dum Dum Die. I'm known as Kira Nightingale, the half elf sorcerer. But tonight, I shall be your host with the most, mostly. I'm um, Luyando Nati Lewis Nyao. I am one third of Three Black Halflings, a DD podcast. And we just try to bring in everything that is Africa based, Asia based, anything out of the quote unquote uh, European canon. And we just want to like infuse the sort of fantasy world with that. But you can call me Unati. It is spelled U-N-A-T-I, but it is very much Unati. That's me. Hi, I'm Alan. I'm founder and game designer at Twin Drums. And we're a game development company currently working on the Wagadu Chronicles, uh, which is an Afro-fantasy online role-playing game and a D&D setting as well. And we're currently in Kickstarter, trying to br- bring more awesome African-inspired fantasy <laughs> magic to the world. The best D&D setting, in my opinion. I'm just going to say one <laughs> thing. Like I, I mentioned to my team that this is happening in Sony, and they were all like, Oh my God, there's Unati as well, the, our player, like our lion blood. And they were like, they didn't care about me being at the panel too much. She's our favorite player in Wagadu. I love playing that lion blood. I love playing that lion blood. I'm looking forward to playing it. I'm going to play it because it will be one of our uh, games during the Comic-Con Africa. I've been fangirling for a while and I just keep wanting to play it. And I waited to let other people like, you know, join in who weren't part of Dum Dum Dive. I was like, you know, screw it. Let me just like jump on it now. And I'll harass you later, Alan. But like, listen, I have some notes, but I really love the game. <laughs> That's delightful. I'm so happy. It goes to say, without saying, I'm, I'm big fans of both of you guys. So um, just like, don't mind me if every now and again, I stop and like, just like clutch my Swazi pearl. Clutch your pearl. I guess in Swazi, it's like, uh, but just like a, a necklace that indicates certain things like, if I was if I was royalty, if I was a king, it would be like lions oh, okay. and all that stuff as well. I think whenever pe- people think of Dungeons and Dragons or even tabletop role playing, they tend to imagine what they see in pop culture. And right now, they see people like characters from the Big Bang Theory or like you know Stranger Things. White people. There's Lucas and Stranger Things. Give us that one thing, okay? Hold on, I've got like something, something too. So. I'll have you know, there is a black child in Stranger Things. And, um, yes, there is. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know. The one, the one. Give, wait, they gave us something, I, okay? <laughs> I will stop interrupting you. I'm just always that person who's going to be like, and the colonizer? Who are you? Anyway, I'll keep quiet. Yeah. But whenever someone mentions like Dungeons and Dragons or tabletop role playing, that's what they imagine. And then they look at you. <laughs> so I'm just curious for both of you because... Um, you both have uh, quite a bit of experience in, in gaming in this community. How does it make you feel when someone says, oh, you play Dungeons and Dragons, are you sure? I think what it actually did to me initially, because mm-hmm. I always really had love for all things fantasy, all things anime, all things nerd culture, right? And I think when I was, I'm, I'm 32 now, but when I was about 15, sort of 16, what it actually did is that it pushed me further into isolation. Because what it, did is that it told me that this space was supposed to be held for people who did not look like me. Mm. And it said to me that I was either a visitor or I was somebody who ha- who could be potentially fetishized. There was no real space for me, especially kind of growing up. I think as a kid, like my first sort of like deep connection into sort of nerd culture was Storm in the old um, X-Men cartoons. X-Men. That was a one yeah. thing you had on TV. 
in South Africa was yeah. like that old school cartoon. And that was the first time that I was like, oh, this could be me. I really love this. And then it's kind of translated into my current life in that I barely go to cons. I just don't mm. go anymore. I'm going to start going because I think it's important for me to carve out that space, not only for myself, but also for others. But I think for a long time, I just didn't go to cons. I liked my nerdy stuff in silence. Because in one way, of course, it does come from the sort of non-POC um, community. But then also at home, it's not really accepted because that it's very much seen as a white people, quote unquote, thing. Yeah. Um, and until we start breaking those barriers and just being like, it's just fun, guys. Can we all yeah. just have a good time? Then it becomes kind of difficult. But initially, for the most part, it felt like um, a space that I wasn't necessarily welcome in. So to answer that question, how did I feel? I felt othered. Once again, I felt othered, even in a space where in terms of the content and the material, gaming or tabletop gaming or comic books or, you know, whatever, whatever medium it came to me at, it always felt like I was just outside of it because I wasn't, quote, I wasn't allowed to enjoy it. But now the older I get, the more I'm like, you know what, y'all can all keep your mouth shut. I like these things. I'm here. I'm loud. And I want to bring in my influences because we have rich cultures. Just a little side note, maybe you might touch on it later. Like I'm currently playing a D&D game where I'm bringing somebody into my Afro-based setting. In fact, I know that's based on Shagasulam Zilingazi in the late 18th century, early 19th century um, in sub-Saharan Africa. And I'm trying to like incorporate him to the game, but he's Chinese and he's bringing in all of his sort of understandings and sensibilities from, from Asia. And I'm okay. allowing that. Not that I'm, not that I'm allowing that. I'm just kind of going, bring it in, man. I don't know. Yeah. I'm going to learn. Man. Let's learn. Let's be free. So yeah, that, that's the, my long winded answer to your question. Alan, how does it make you feel when someone sees you and can't correlate their perception of tabletop role-playing with you as a person? First of all, it's a great question, but first of all, I want to say I want to play in an artist setting, so please invite me to one of your games, because it sounds so oh, awesome. Oh, I, I, yeah. I have two spaces now. Now I have yeah. two spaces. Okay. The only thing, I'm a bit intimidated by the clicking of the Southern African languages, so I just have to find a way to pronounce that. That's the only thing. You need to be patient with that. Oh, yeah, no, that's totally fine. I think um, it's all a process of learning, no? Like, mm. I can't pronounce most Japanese names or most Chinese names or... You know, I can't pronounce most some Swati names either. Like I, I, I just bastardized the name of their clan. So you know, it's it's all learning. Okay, yeah. awesome. Because I was having this feeling that the languages with clicks are just a level above every other language because you're just like kind of like high elves because you use more of the masses and everything. So we are like somewhere below, like yeah. just the goblins, and then there's like high elves speaking like these languages. <laughs> I do like um, being seen as a <laughs> as a hell. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be really basic and be like like it's a ter- it's like it's a terror. That's like your basic nursery rhyme you learn when you're three. Like, to me, it's like a it's like high elven magic. I just listen to it. it's like what's happening now. Like it's just going to something. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Anyways, like I'll stop taking the conversation off topic, off topic, I promise. So how it was for me, actually, you know, I grew up mostly in Europe, in Southern Europe as a black man. And um, the, the otherness that Nati mentioned was very many things. And one of them was definitely the role-playing environment. And, you know, it was really, like, really 
literal, like very black and white. Like I remember there was this uh, kind of center where people would go and play games, like board games and role-playing games in, in my hometown. And I knew, I, actually, I think I've been there once or twice as a teenager. And I usually wouldn't go there because I knew that everything had to do with kind of like Nordic, Gaelic, uh, and therefore Tolkien and fantasy cultures was associated to white extremists, like extreme right uh, and white nationalists. Wow. So, so, I mean, of course, this is a, just a fringe. It's not the majority of, uh, of players, of course, but yeah. they would like, yeah, they like to go there and meet there. So I went there once. I saw these people and they saw me. Luckily, we didn't interact, but I didn't feel welcome. Let's put it mildly. Let's put it mildly. I didn't feel welcome. You know, and I was like 15 or something. Yeah. But luckily, I had like this motley crew of friends that were like kind of a bit the outcasts. <laughs> we're not, we're not fitting. Very, very, uh, you know, kind of heavy friend. And then like the uh, geeky woman, the, you know, me, the, the black queer guy, <laughs> like literally like a movie, yeah. you know, we're like, like the weird And then we started yeah. like, and I started running games without ever seeing a D&D game. So just read the books and I was like, you know what? I'm going to start my own thing. I'm not going to go to these people. And I yeah. think in, it was, it was hard yeah. because you had kind of, you know, starting from scratch. No one is there mm -hmm. to help you. But in the long term, as always, I think about being different, it ended up being a, a blessing because I learned, I created my own style of, mm -hmm. of role playing and I learned how to create content myself, you know, without expecting someone to, to show me or teach me. And ultimately, you know, maybe I wouldn't be a game designer. So you know, I'm not saying that this is good. We shouldn't have this. But I think it's about, it, it made me other. It was not comfortable. But then I did what I could to turn that into positive energy later on growing up. My mind is still blown about the fact that like just going to like a comic book store, just like a geek store and just having to worry about ducking and diving like neo-Nazis. I'm just... And even in South Africa, I can't remember what the actual shop was called. I don't speak about all the staff, but there were a number of times. If I went in there with my ex-husband, I got a very mm -hmm. different response to whether I went in there on my own. Like you can mm -hmm. feel it. Like there is a, oh, what are you doing here? There is a, there's almost like a, oh, you're a tourist. Oh, you must not know. Yeah. Outside but yeah i know what you mean yeah. like um i used to like oh I, I say like i used to like i stopped going to these places i still go to those spaces but like especially when i was younger like a teenager and all that stuff i mean it, i wasn't dealing with neo-nazis but like it's just like a lot of these stores i would love and then they would have like discussion boards and on their website and all that stuff and you just started chatting with people and they get very engaged with you yeah until they and then at some point it's like a gathering we get to meet and then like imagine you're 14 or something years old and then you're excited to meet people who are into the same thing as you and it's always like, there was always a weird pause when someone sees you like, oh, you're so-and-so avatar. I imagine like a cute little blonde girl, but I got you. And yeah. Like and I think that it comes from like, it obviously stems from like in that institutionalized racism thing. Cause like, I remember like back home when I used to live in South Africa and I apply for jobs. And even here, actually, if I apply for like basic, like I call them muggle jobs cause I'm an actor by <laughs> trade. So. So like if I'm applying for just something to pay the bills for a while, like I'll do the telephonic interview. It'll all be great. And then when I meet them, they'll go, oh, I thought you said your name was Natalie. I'm like, no, it was Unati. <laughs> you just chose to hear Natalie. You associated the fact that um, I speak in an accent that you um, associate with upman mobility and whiteness. To overcompensate, right? Yeah, to overcompensate. Yeah. But you, in your mind, you couldn't have imagined somebody like whose name was Nazi to be speaking to you like this. And that is the external imagining space that you have no control over. So at some point I just had to learn that I can only just control my space. 
like oh, much yes. like you did alan like i can control yes. my space i can create around me but like now yes. you know things like like the internet getting bigger more, we're having more and more of these diversity conversations now yeah. we're all reaching out but not just that but you realize that there's so many people like us you like sit there and you realize yeah. like, wait we are legion there are many of us like, yes. like exactly when i was 12 years old you, i felt yeah. i'm a little different a little certain way but at least okay i have a twin brother so like it's him and i we felt other but it's nice to feel yeah. like there's a whole wide scope of people there's yeah, a whole wide scope around. of people who are all yeah. having not wildly disparate experiences the internet yes. has been a revolution for this for sure it really has it's like pre, it's pre, so yeah, when i started playing D, there was no internet almost like at least for me and that was Ooh. just so different yeah Okay, I can't. Yeah, I, can't I was I, I was also a nerd pre-internet. We're just talking about spaces where people there, that yeah. look like us don't really feel as welcome. Like that was a, mm. one example. Like although a great example I have is at a different comic book shop I, I would I would go to. I didn't even help some of the people who work there also worked looks didn't look like me, but they're also non-white. And it I, we kind of clicked yeah. as well, it helped was also a space of refuge i'm not saying that it was always negative i'm just saying that like when you come to these spaces there is an element of being codified like and um yeah because i i, I bought many great comics but i would never have deigned to play at any of their like gameplay sessions like warhammer oh. never would i sat at Me, any of the gathering like never would i ever been like oh can i come sit down and that's um, just my own personal experience I think we really kind of touched on this, but I like the idea that like campaigns and this like tabletop role playing kind of like helps characters flex their muscles and do use all these different skills and all that stuff. So I'm curious, what skill set, if any, have you taken from uh, game playing, from role playing that's inspired you to like archery or making your own beer or, you know, communing with your ancestors? Well, that's actually an everyday thing. Communing with, with a demon, like a necrom- necromancy or something like that. What have you picked up from role playing that you do now? And is legal, maybe, that you can talk about? I've been a DM, as I mentioned, since I started uh, running games. Storytelling mm-hmm. was really my thing. And uh, I think that ended up being part of uh, my life. It's a big part of my life. Like even running a company nowadays, I, sometimes it feels like being a DM at the table. <laughs> it's like, and you're the wizard and you're the rogue and you're the like, and now what's happening? Like, let me try and guide this story into somewhere successful without a total party cue. That's what I'm trying to avoid. At this that would point. be ideal. Like the TPK is not the way for a company to go. I would, no, I would like we to don't you, want that. I want to see you live a long life, Alan. You Exactly. You Future, exactly. yeah. So, we want to XP, like gather XPs, keep on get yeah. loot because we need some loot to keep on going, yeah. some magic yeah. items, yeah. wonderful yeah. NPCs. So, that's mm-hmm. yeah. And I'm a bit I'm joking, but a bit distracting, like really, it's giving me a lot of social skills and, uh, really? you know, and, and the ability to, ex- yeah, the ability to express yourself as well. Like, I think I wasn't much of a writer, and telling stories mm-hmm. through role playing was a way to, to be creative. And, and so, that was a skill mm-hmm. that you know, later on. Storytelling is everywhere, literally, like from sales to like being able to tell stories is so important. We were forgotten because, you know, our, our ancestors, our great, our grandparents used to tell a lot of stories. And now we're more and more, uh, you know, like just rushing around, you know, too busy to stop and, and tell stories. Mm. At the end, is one of these few occasions where we can literally sit. It's not a fire, maybe it's beer, but we sit around <laughs> the fire. <laughs> and we yeah. can tell and stories snacks. as our ancestors. Yeah. And this has happened for thousands of years. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, Africans have been better at keeping these traditions compared to maybe uh, the Westerners, but we're losing them as well. So d is actually making us be more African, like more true to our identity, actually. 
Mm, yeah, I like, no, I, I like agree. That That's really cool. I think for me, from role playing, um, I, I suppose, like you know, primarily I'm an actor by trade, um, and what it has done is, I mean, you you get trained. I, I trained at uh, in 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 London, um, mm-hmm. at like a conservatoire, and I learned all these really awesome, like you know, tools, sort of Lusky, Michael Chekhov, all these things, all great. Mm-hmm. But I think what I really learned from tabletop RPGs is an ability to st- to tell a story from a very vast standpoint, and um, because myself as as an actor, I I can get very bogged down in useless detail, and but okay. I'll think it's useless detail, but it's not. It's world building. No, it's mm-hmm. I'm I am currently like building the world that I inhabit around me. I might not need to play it in a scene ever in the show. Mm-hmm. But the, that my character knows that, that down the road, down Main Street, one street, yeah. two streets, you take a right. When you go there, you can go down to Auntie Nandi and you can buy milk. Like the fact that I know that only enriches my playing. And that started to come into my work as a dramaturg and then my work as, as, as a divisor and the creative work. Mm-hmm. Because now when, when I look at like a device project, I don't automatically panic. I just go, okay, what's the world? And then really world build it. And of course, like Stanislavski has given you um, the physical plane, the psychological plane, um, the literal plane, which pertains to the actual writing and the words in the text. And then one more that I'm forgetting. Oh, the social claim, sorry, mm. which pertains to how the word is structured socially, right? But but it doesn't it doesn't break it down into its smallest pieces like tabletop RPGs do. And it really has, it really has helped me. Like I'm currently devising a show using the the sort of DD 5e system. Because okay. what it what it does, like around the table as devices, is we go, this is the world, and then we just start to roll for it. Because you stop getting in your own head, right? Mm. So if we're all talking about, oh, maybe the society, maybe this, maybe this um religious faction should be like this they believe in this but are they good or are they evil we could mm-hmm. sit there for three hours talking about why they could be good or evil and then eventually just go hang on let's just roll from dc 10 um d below from 1 to 10 they're evil mm-hmm. dc below 10 to t- above 10 to 20 they're like good and then dc 20 to 30 they're like a little bit more gray roll it and then you just roll it and you stop getting in your own head about decisions right and that's yeah. also bled into my own personal life. Like even now, like when I'm like decision making, instead of okay, obviously, like you know, I still have like my own health issues and anxiety is a problem for me. For me, but now sometimes, honestly, it's happened a few times in my life. Well, I'll just reach into my dice bag and pull out a d20, and I'll set out a dc for myself and just go, I'm going to roll this dice. I'm going to stop thinking. I'm going to stop overthinking this thing. I'm just yeah. going to roll this die, and if it comes out of this in this dc or that dc or that dc, that's what I'm going to do because all of them are equal valid it's so helpful like just as it, a stream, it streamlines your life right because like it makes things so much simpler it helps you streamline and help you helps you focus especially like you mentioned with your anxiety so i imagine that's like that's a yeah. great way to right? like process all this information all the stimuli as well i think i've only ever done it three times in my in, in sort of like my dungeons and dragons playing life which has been about like i don't know a year now i like this uh shades blister says is it worth taking improv classes to get better at role playing I think everybody should take acting classes in one way or another. I was very privileged enough to to be able to study acting. But I think like you just learn so much about yourself in that space. But what I will say to that is go to the improv class and if it makes you feel good, stay. If the environment itself makes you feel bad, look for another group of people. Yeah. Don't no, like stay in something just because it's improv. Yeah. Like yeah. 
because it's all about the people that you're with. Even I have been to some improv, I did for at high school two years, oh, okay. many, many, many years ago. So then, you know, I realized I didn't have an artist talent and I didn't continue to it. But that was, but that was like so, so useful. Like I remember, I remember things like learning how to look people in the eyes, believe it or not. Yeah. It was harder for me before and something I learned in theater because we had to do it as an exercise. And I was, damn, this is so hard. I felt so shy. And then after two years, I was just doing it. And speaking, I had to learn how to yell because I'm a very calm person and I don't usually get upset. And I had this part where I had to act out. Uh, it was an ancient Greek uh, like tragedy where uh, my yeah. wife killed herself. And I killed my son because I thought he was the murderer, but he wasn't. And then I was, I was yelling the whole time. And I learned so much. And that really helped me with D&D. And actually, I agree with Unati in life yeah. in general. So I can recommend. Okay. And definitely, good people around you means a lot. So Because anybody can do it. Yeah. You just need to find the right people. Even someone like me, who's not at Unati's yeah. level, you can do it. So go, do it. Go for it. <laughs> we need more sure. Onen Gamma in our lives. When can we expect oh. to see you on our next adventure? I just came out of a Three Black Halflings meeting and um, oh. Ongan Angama lives in the Wagadi Chronicles because we are running one, um, at the, thankfully, um, Alan and his team has brought us this great, great setting. Ongan Angama and Muti will be back in your spaces. I will still be as vexed as I am. It's absolutely happening. Um, and we have our Patreon. So if you want to see us twice a month, then we'll be doing that as well. But yeah, yeah, it's it's there. It's out there. We're doing it. Cool, 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 cool. You hear, you heard it here first, folks. Um, okay, another question is, what advice would you guys give to someone who wants to start a community, like an RPG club, or like, you know, like LARPing and whatnot, in their local township? That's actually a good question, because outside of South African context, a township can mean many things outside of South Africa, but in, ta- in South Africa, it's basically a lower income area. But say if you come from a Western point of view, you think of poverty, you think like, okay, someone lives in like, you know, like this very small house, and they they don't, they don't have air conditioning, just have like, you know, they open the windows. Whereas living in the township potentially you could like, you could be living in very, very bad conditions to the point where your, your, your housing is more composed of like corrugated, corrugated iron. iron. Yeah. And you don't have access to like the running water and whatnot. So like, think of like very dire living situations. I'm not saying people are not happy, but I'm just saying like a living situation and the quality of life there is very different in, in a township. I mean, I know, uh, I mean, the, the African country I know um, its best is Ghana, where I've lived a bit because, you know, I'm, I'm half Ghanaian. And uh, we don't call them township there, but I guess it's similar. You know, there's parts of the city uh, where people, you know, live in these small corrugated iron huts. And it's, especially now with like the coronavirus, it's even worse. Right? It's like really, really challenging. So I have been like, super fortunate and privileged that I haven't have to live live in that in those conditions so I can say from an external perspective of course my impression is always to, and I think it is kind of universal thing to start from friends and people that you know and bring together I mean convince a couple of friends people who trust you because it's always easier if someone trusts you go okay if like, I don't know what this thing is it's weird but if Alan likes it and he's so passionate about it so start with friends the second thing is to retailer tailor everything because mm-hmm. what works in New York, in the U.S., for a bunch of white kids might not work for, you know, a black kid in Italy, for me, might not work for a bunch of black kids in a township in South Africa. So, again, from an outsider perspective, I can just say, like, tailoring, I think, trying to make it work. And maybe the rules need to be completely thrown out and changed. Role-playing is something that we all do when we're kids, when we're children. And when yeah. we're, we're, it's natural. So it's the, the most natural game. So I don't believe when people say not everyone is made for role playing. I disagree. Everyone is. You just have to find the right way to approach it. And it mm-hmm. could be different anywhere. 
I like that answer. That's, that's quite true. And also, like, maybe just to add on to what you said, Alan, is that maybe you live in impoverished areas. Maybe just try to find a way to, like, with friends and whatnot, you can build community, build trust and whatnot. But also, it just reminds people that you don't need resources. You don't have to, like, be able to get access to a printer to have pieces of paper. You can just work with what you have. Just, like, having oral ways of, like, going through rules. Yeah. To, like, your characters as well. I wholeheartedly agree with Alan um, and yourself as well. What I would say is, yeah, flip the rules. I think mechanically, if you're looking at like 5E as a system and mm-hmm. you're looking at that as a, like as an access point with privilege, like you're going to be requiring everybody to have some kind of device. You're going to yeah. be requiring everybody to be able to get on D&D because they're going to have to have some sort of data. And data in a house like that is gold, right? Mm-hmm. So what I'm, what I'm saying is if you're trying to do that in, in your areas, assess what access points people have. Yeah. Do they have access to a device? And if they do have an access to a, to a device, do they have access to disposable data? Mm-hmm. If those two things are no, then if you are the person who is trying to start this thing and you are really interested in it, then I think it's time to start, like, I think it's time to start going rogue, man, and start developing and figuring out, okay, cool, what do I do? Like, do I take the system and I make it a bit smaller? And don't think that you are contracting that because of your your, your environment or because of you, you are dealing with poverty or any sort of financial issues. Remember, like, things like Vampire the Masquerade, much simpler system. Call of Cthulhu, much simpler system. Like, look like how you can go and call how to make the system intriguing and exciting for my people in my area. Like, do I bring in people like the Tokoloch? Does a Beppo become yes. something? Is Binky Binky, is Binky Binky a threat? Like, how yeah. do I make them play with the things that they are excited about in their areas? Exactly, give a context. Go into the Daily Sun, like, you know the Daily Sun back at home, right? Like, go into the Daily Sun and look at those headlines. Like, can you bring that into the game? Like, those things that people are reading. Like, how do you engage them? Because of yeah things that they care about like it doesn't have to be elves and dwarves like the, the day i learned that dnd didn't have to be elves and dwarves and dragons was the day i was liberated word it yes. can be whatever i want it to be that's the magic of like role playing and world building just it's all this it's literal creation right it's just flung yeah. make it what it is and keep it collaborative the more you engage the people that you're playing with, the friends that you're bringing in, into building the world, the more they'll be invested. Because it'll feel like it's a part of them. Like, bring them in. And be like, oh, we're creating this place, and then we're going to play in it? Awesome! Say on top of this amazing wisdom <laughs> that has just been delivered, a tiny tip on top of this is, I think, get some dice for everyone. Like, I used to do that at the mm-hmm. very beginning. I just bought a bunch because I was trying to convince people to play. If you can afford it, just get a bunch of dice. They're quite cheap. Uh, you can find quite cheap ones, plastic, simple dice. And yeah, there you go. Like, get, give everyone their dice and it's mm-hmm. 50% of the work is done. Because they're tactile, they look great, they have these different shapes and colors. It's like, I want to roll them. How? Okay, you need to do something. Let me show you what, what you have to do. And that's it. And you start. That's true. I like the idea. And also, like, um, you get more buy-in because people get a bit scared. Like, oh, you want me to buy, spend money when I haven't even gone to this yes. thing I don't know I like? It can be a bit, yeah. like, intimidating as well. So I do like that. And that dice thing, sorry. If people do have access to a smartphone device, you can download a dice app. That makes it easier as well. And at least it's like it can be shared as well because people can just use the same device and just save themselves time as well. But these are more fun. Remember that game you used to play as a kid where you drew a circle, right? And then you had a big circle and then a smaller circle and you had to throw up the stones 
you had to get them out of the bigger circle, but in like a numbered sequence. We play that all the time. We love playing with dice and stuff. Figure out a system where you can use stones. I don't know, yeah. stones, bottle caps, and figure yeah. out a system. Build your own system. Make it work yes. for you. Hashtag fantasy can be whatever you want it to be. It's kind of like a, a no-brainer, but like another question is, do you bring in your lived experiences into your role play? I suppose when I first started playing, I would always play tiefling, but I, w- I really want to read the passage that really speaks to me. To be greeted with stares and whispers, to suffer violence and insult on the street, to see mistrust and fear in every eye, that is the lot of the tiefling. And if that is not my experience as a black woman, wherever I go, I don't know what is. Yeah. So when I first started playing D&D, and I've been listening to like a lot of other POC players and creators talking, and somebody really made a really good point. But he was saying that the reason why sometimes we're drawn, drawn to the monster races is that they are the only ones who have experienced some sort of oppression that is already like visibly available like from the offset. And that's why we immediately relate. I think the first sort of three games I ever played, I always just went for tiefling. I tried to look up the other races, but like nothing resonated. Not because that was what something I wanted to relive in game or be experienced in game or be triggered by in game again. But it was just like a point that I could really relate to this character and to the species from. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I kind of took that on. And then um, to extrapolate that into then being a DM, venturing off into my first sort of little bit of world building, my whole setting, the is based on a sort of historical love affair that I've had for a while trying to really engage with my Zulu Kosa um, uh, heritage. And while I'm really kind of focusing on the Zulu sort of side of it, but like just really looking into history and understanding, really trying to understand my history without a colonial lens. Like, I just want to remove it. Like, I'm really trying to understand my history. Because obviously, you know, being in school in South Africa, you learn Southern African history. And I really just want to look at it outside of that. And that's why I'm beginning to create this um, setting for myself. Because I really just want to answer the question of what would have happened if the ancestors intervened? What would have happened during colonial period if the ancestors went, Hey! Yella, yella. (laughs) This is not happening. And I also took inspiration from the fact that Shaka Zulu and his people brought knives to a gunfight with the English Literally. and won twice. I don't know if you guys have ever watched it. This is one of my favorite movies, not because of the actors in it, but because of this one epic scene. It's with Michael Caine about the whole idea of like the, the fights between the English and the, the Zulus. I remember this one scene where like you see all the Englishmen and they're all in the center and like you just see like this almost this dawn. This, this look that dawns upon them, they realize that they're going to like, it's it's over for them. How Shaka broke it down is that on the left horn, the left flank, there'd be mm-hmm. like roughly 6,000 men. Um, yeah. And on that side, um, they were called the Ingo Angosi, which means benders or humblers of kings, and mm-hmm. Ibonambi, seers of evil. Um, and then the central force would be made up of about 9,000-ish men, and that would be um, Umkulashane and Imkulijo. So Umkulashane are straight line or coming at you, and Imkulijo are sharp points. So they would come at you with a lot of like a lot of manpower. And then on yeah. the right horn, they were called the Utututu, the support or the strengtheners, and then Unonkenke, the scrappers. And so the, yeah. the, the front horn would like come at you, and then you'd think that's the army, right? You'd think that's them. Yeah. Nah. Meanwhile, You're being it's flanked on both sides. That's what I and love about that. Decimating it. So good. Yeah. Sorry, it's part of my setting. So I've got notes. <laughs> you know, I just love that because you and I, we will talk because um, one of my favorite yeah. things is uh, speaking to my family and to try to speak, speak to me about like, you know, not just like oral history, but also like mythology and, like, and whatnot. And yeah. 
it's just yeah. interesting to see like our perspectives and what's actually happened versus what's we're taught in school. What I find fascinating is the word for for one of the factions of the left flank called Ubonambi, which means those mm. were seers, which means in our culture, culture, those would have been magic operators, right? They were considered yes. the seers of, of the line of soldiers. So they must yeah. have had something inside like of oracles. Them. Yeah, yes. something. I just I, could I, sit here and keep on listening because I'm like so enthralled. Dark Wolf, I like what you said. Like D&D is in its own way therapy as we have a chance to deal for our own problems from an mm-hmm. outside perspective. But three characters so we can build them and portray them. And probably like what I also like is that you can learn from them as well. What are your feelings about bringing in outside influences? Like, so I know people think of like, you know, tabletop role playing as a form of like escape fantasy. It's not real life. I just want to think about all my problems, but I'm a big fan personally of trying to have like a microcosm in the game and teach people about what's happening outside in the world in a setting that they can better understand like systemic racism or police brutality or just like general So I think it's a great question and I have like a very clear-cut answer to this. I think the answer is yes, you always will end up. But the thing is, it will happen even if you don't plan to do it. That's the thing. Mm. There's this conception sometimes, especially it's it's very easy to think this too, especially if you're a white straight dude, like that uh, some things are apolitical, you know, like so fantasy hasn't got politics. It's just like this other world with these elves and dwarves and so on, dragons doing their thing. When you start digging, and especially if you're part of a minority, uh, you're people, a person of color, you're queer, you're a woman, so you realize that everything is biased. The gods of this world are biased. That the way uh, racism, sorry, slavery is seen in this world is biased. Like the mm-hmm. patriarchy, there's so much going on. And like when you think, oh, this is new, what you see as neutral, and by you, I mean like you, conservative person, is not. It's like just a, rep- a very high representation of these kind of biased worlds that mm. we're living in. So I think like no matter what you do, like which side thing you're playing, there is politics in it. And that's something to in the gaming industry, in game development where I'm part of, some yeah. famous you know game developers have said, oh, I, I don't do politics in my game. But then there's like shooting protesters, there's this, there's that. If people are holding weapons, that's a politics already. Like for you, mm. it's neutral. For me, like I grew up in a country where it's not legal to hold, if I see people holding weapons, I'm like, that's terrible. It's like, what's going on? Why are people holding weapons? You know, for someone mm-hmm. else, oh, that's my right. It's my political right. This is politi- like, it's zombie game. People take uh, weapons and fight each other. It's politics already. So same, mm-hmm. you know, for fantasy. And I think being aware of it and using it, you know, as you said, I think it's best because then you're in control of what's happening. So you don't, yeah. because we all have biases as well. So if we end up going like, oh, like these beautiful white, glowing white skin, blonde elves, slaughtering the dark uh, orcs, if you're uh, aware of what's behind it, if you're aware, yep. you can have more control around it. And maybe somehow the orcs is bigger and you realize that the orcs are not the baddies and the elves took over orcish land and you can start playing mm-hmm. around these things. Yeah. So I think it's very important to be aware and I think you will do it anyway. So if you're aware mm-hmm. of it, you will do it right. If you're not, you might muddle the waters and then kind of walk away feeling a bit weird, which is how I felt in the past when I was like playing mm-hmm. more trade, raw D&D. Remember once we had a session where like uh, uh, players, I was running a game in France and uh, these players were dwar- like this it was a long campaign of dwarves reclaiming their own fortresses underground. And then they found the village of uh, goblins. They exterminated mm-hmm. the warriors, the fighters. Okay, typical D&D. And there were the women and the kids and the babies left in this village. Ooh. And according to the rules, traditional rules of D&D, alignment cannot be changed for monsters. And the players debated it for an hour. 
Yeah. In the end, they decided to flood the place and kill everyone. And we all felt so bad. And I, this, I still remember, this was like almost a decade ago. It was a turning point for me because I was like, I don't want this to happen anymore. And I was so proud about my knowledge of the lore, doing things right. I was like one of those DMs that knows every, I had like 70 D&D books, I knew everything. But I was like, you know what? Following the rules of the game is not always the right thing to do. And I think something clicked there and I never went back. Mm-hmm. You know? I had that naughty moment of like, I'm throwing it, throwing away the dragons and draws. Okay, so it's not maybe as dramatic. It took a bit longer. <laughs> I think there's no way you cannot avoid this. You have you yeah. have to do it. Is DMD political? Yes. Is going to get a uh, like a KFC burger political? Yes, you're likely spending, putting money into investors. Like literally, like buying a pair of Nikes political. Is driving a petrol car political? Is you know drinking alcohol or not drinking alcohol? Everything you do, everything you do in life is political. Mm. So why wouldn't you think it would come into our fantasy? And then we yeah. we, we we seem to do this weird thing as people. We seem to separate um, speculative fiction. We like we think that like Abo Margaret Atwood and Abo Esna <laughs> Levine and Abo JG Ballard, like they're the ones that are doing all like you know like the political stuff. But like yes, Tolkien yeah. and stuff, it's just it's just oh. elves and things running around. No, nobody thinks like that. No one's saying that you now need to go out and you know do a lecture at varsity about fantasy and its issues. Just use mm. your own common sense. Like you were saying, that that scenario, the alignment of these children cannot be changed. They're still yeah. children. And the fact yeah. that they can't be changed within law, that's problematic. Because you want something simple. You want a binary. You want something where good and evil is very black and white. So you can run around on your Saturday night table and kill people without feeling bad about it. But I want to tell you something. You're killing people. And the fact that you want to kill people without feeling bad about it makes me not want to be your mate. Because if you could walk into that same scenario and then I'm a bit like, "Mm, am I safe around you in general? D&D is in as much of itself as like a fantasy game as it is a problem solving game. You stop those forces, we could rehabilitate them, we could yeah. do all many I mean, of course there'll be bad seeds that will write not necessarily bad seeds. Yeah. It's not bad seeds, you it's it's that it's that Greek tragedy thing. Blood begets blood, no? So we've yeah. killed their fathers and their brothers and their uncles. Yes. So they're gonna be angry. In game, let's interrogate that cycle. Mm-hmm. Yes. Let's go. Is yeah. there is there a version of the world where we where we could stop this? Because and in a world was... where there's magic, of course. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I just saying that that's literally colonialism. Like what Unati, how you're describing it? Going to places, these people like have no souls. Basically, there is like it's basically that's what like the conquistadores and the colonizers said. They came mm-hmm. to Africa, other places. They said, "What's the alignment of these people? Or they're all neutral evil. They don't have souls. They're not Christians, whatever. So we just need to. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's fine, even if they're children. So it's fine to enslave all of them or kill them and to build our own things on top and to take the resources because yeah. we are like uh, lawful good." And they are like chaotic evil. Look at their gods and their skulls and their and their ancestors, right? It's literally like when you when you, when you realize it's like so clear. It's so clear. It's and basically, the very re- same logic. Yes, you're reenacted colonialism. It's like we are like co- conquering these caves as white dwarves with beards and Nordic looking. There's these like dark goblin things there, and we know they're all evil. The, the, the system says they're evil. We just have to kill all of them and take over the mm-hmm. place. Colonialism. Mm-hmm. Maybe slowly but surely, but people are starting to realize that maybe like reconsider how they perceive these types of characters. Like, and then even the idea of like, just how we look at 
even a goblin is allowed to be smart. A goblin is allowed to be like dignified. As a paladin, like if I, like when I, like at a table sometimes when, oh, cause I obviously play a tiefling, but like when I encounter a paladin, like something rogue type, like with a bit of fighter in there. When I encounter a paladin, I just want to smack across the head. I'm like, because your God said so? Like, because he said so. It's the wrong thing. Like, we can all see that this is the wrong thing. And yet you're still going to do it because, I don't know, you're following some god. Are you sure mm-hmm. about that? People do crazy things in the name of their, whatever they believe in. That's the, the crazy thing. I just want to read some stuff from chat because oh, chat's sorry. like been like, chat's on fire, guys. I think they're getting inspired by our discussions and all that stuff, but that makes sense. And then I thought of it that way, the reason why I play games like Dragon Age or Neverwinter is that there weren't only a couple of looks and they could build from what they choose so they had some more flexibility but they're just starting to realize that there's other things you can do and another person says like oh i know from my own playing that no matter how much i try to build a different uh character a lot of my true self tends to bleed through the cracks so even if you try to build something different and try to do something different people might tend to default to what they know what's familiar Mm. what's their own context i'm going to speak to that really briefly from an actor's perspective like when i play a role anytime Anytime I could be playing anything. So and when I con- uh, when I played Prudence in The Convert, and when I played Ross in Macbeth, in both of those roles, regardless of how different those two parts were, always a part of me will always bleed in. I think that's the thing that we kind of need to start understanding when, when we approach tabletop um, RPGs. Is that yes, mm-hmm. you're going to build this character that you believe to be so far removed from you, but all you're building are the building blocks. You're building the ideas around that character. When you actively start to play that character in game with a table of five or six people or the DM, and you start to interact, that is where the story starts to take place. And Mm -hmm. I promise you nine times out of 10, you're going to start activating from your own personal point of view. I even tell my players now, and I've been running it for like two decades, and I've seen that again and again and again. Pick a character that is connected to you. Don't stray too far from who you are. Because maybe for a one shot, you can manage to be that completely opposite of you. But in the long term, characters are always a part of you. They're not, they're not exactly you, but they're part of you and they, they reflect a lot of you. So if you're like the shyest person on earth, but don't be like the typical kind of like cookie cutter, bar that is like super talkative, charismatic, because you're going to struggle. It's not going to be fun. It's not even going to be fun in the long term because you're going to force yourself. Because you're going to try to be someone you are not. And that goes against everything that said, you know, like, be yourself. So even as a character, be another yourself, but still mm-hmm. yourself. Yeah, I'm a yeah. firm believer that every character you play is, is, is almost like a, a small or big facet of your actual self. It's maybe a subconscious thing, but you always pick something because it, it, it speaks to you in some way. I could pick like a murderous, I don't know, scientist in a horror fantasy. Yeah. And hey, what? I'm a fan- I am a scientist by trade. Yeah. Am I yeah. murderous? I will not say so in public because I don't want to be... Yeah. No one can use it against you, but like something speaks to you. Like even like, like you said, it's like a bard who's shy and you think you make them shy and in your own way. Sometimes people like decide to give me money to pretend to be somebody else on screen. But really, ultimately, I'm just, we are all capable of the full gamut of human experience, the full gamut of anything experience, right? So all you're mm-hmm. paying me is, is to tap into the version of Unati that is a murderous scientist. All you're asking me to do is just to tap into that version of myself and yeah. see if I can find that. That's all. But it's still me. And it's still you at the table. Talk to your DM. Say, I want to play something that's really like against character or against mm-hmm. trope um, or against me. And then and then DM can guide you with that and go, actually, mm-hmm. last session, you weren't quite doing that. 
you were, you know what I mean? If that's what you want to do, then experiment. But like, don't be under the illusion that you aren't making choices based on your internal moral compass because you Mm. are. When it comes time to roll (laughs) dice, you're rolling dice hoping for the outcome that you yourself would want. Yeah, it's like it's like when you flip a coin. You flip a coin to make a decision, but by the time the, the coin lands, you knew what you wanted regardless. Actually, we've got someone in the chat who's actually writing their master's thesis on incorporation of D&D in therapy. So I I love that concept. Yes. Oh, my. Can we chat? Because that is awesome. We've got people who said, like, I've tried various characters to veer off from my norm, and generally I end up trying my inner ranger. Like, there's always something within you that kind of still bleeds out. This is from chat. The most amazing thing I've read is that even though we are in a fantasy world, where we can just do anything, most players will still choose to be good. As it is a world that we can be good without having repercussions. Somewhat sad, but also nice to know that we all have good in us. I guess, like, on the other side of that is that some people want to, like, I think we touched on this before, but some people veer towards being, quote-unquote, evil or darker. Actually, I hate that term, dark and light, as in good and evil, as in, like, bad-intentioned people. I need to express this part of myself because I'm a good person day to day, but they veer towards being bad intentioned people for whatever reason. And maybe that master's thesis can touch on that in therapy. Like maybe people, people can use D&D to express parts of them that are frowned upon by society. So the stock version two says they read an interesting article um, a while back. And the theory is that multiple mm-hmm. versions of yourself exist at all times. And they exist in the minds of everyone you meet. And none of them are actually the same because all the people you meet see you differently. It's like, it reminds me of a quote, we as people, as you as an individual are a combination of every person you've ever met in your entire life. I don't know. Again, I must just come back to like my wheelhouse, which is acting. You're made up of experience, right? Like that's what really makes you up. Experience, memory, connection, emotion. And I think if we take that into our tabletop RPG sort of like role play characters and also like, you know, am I a ranged spellcaster? Am I a sneaky, sneaky rogue? When I come into a campaign thinking I want to play the tank, Actually, what I'm saying is I want to be the one that takes the damage because that's Mm -hmm. what I do in my real life is I take care of my friends and I protect the people nearest to me. And that's why when I when I go into a campaign like going or when I'm asking a DM like, oh, what are the characters like? And I'm like, oh, everyone's really squishy. Fine. I'll be the tank. What I'm saying is I'll take all the damage. I'm going to take all the damage. You guys spell cast and hopefully somebody lays on hands me because otherwise I'm going to die. <laughs> Stacking up my HP because I want to take all the damage and protect everybody okay. else. So when you're playing the sneaky, sneaky rogue, there's a reason behind that. Think about it. Yeah. So I got a question from a Watcher81. Is the current version of D&D capable of writing African-inspired stories or settings? Or is it better to build a new world? So, yeah, it's a great question. And uh, my answer would be yes and no, in a sense, like it is the system itself definitely is related to many of the kind of preconceptions and, and paradigms that you have in traditional Western fantasy worlds. But what I think is that with a bit of creativity, you can subvert, you can subvert them and you can make, you can make your own thing. So I think like, okay, acknowledge where certain things ca- come from. Even the idea, for instance, that magic items make you stronger and that you need the more like you need to gather as much stuff as you can and loot stuff to become more powerful you know there's something there about the whole idea of like capitalism actually right that is there like uh, yeah. in in many old tales it was like one item like one sword you find and represents something special and that's it you have this one magic sword or something and lo- throughout many legends there is but then how come like our current 
system uh, D&D is like more and more and more and more. It never stops. It's like consumerism. Like, and then it gets old and it's like your iPhone. You need a new iPhone for the monsters to kill the monsters. You know, iPhone SX, I don't even know anymore. Right? <laughs> so <laughs> there, there, yeah, there are these things inside. But I think what you can do is like, hey, just accept that some things are, are there and then try and kind of subvert, reskin. And of course, I will do my shameless plug because you're giving me this opportunity <laughs> for people to go and check out uh, the Wagadi Chronicles which is the setting that I created. 300 pages for free. You can download them from the website. Uh, and you can see how I took the fifth edition and made it African and, you know, and pre-colonial. And I saw some, even combat itself, like most of the creatures you meet, you can deal with them without fighting. I think actually all of them, apart from one, which is like a very angry, hang, uh, sorry, angry hippo, like spiritual hippo. But if you avoid spiritual hippos, I've seen, I've got a lot of good feedback from others who have seen, for example, my setting. And it just... And I've done the same with others, you know, looked at other settings, ideas here, and I say, oh, this person broke this thing, or this person used, subverted this thing. So even D&D is so heavily combat-based, I created a setting where you can basically avoid most of combat and just use other ways to get the same XP, keep on growing, and so on. Yeah, would another system be better for it? Probably, you know, I'm looking excited to see some new system coming from Africa, maybe, and then that we can use in future and implement for Wagadu version 2, you know. For now, I think it's about kind of being scrappy, trying things. As Unati was saying, even like in a township, just create your own thing. You know, I think that was really inspiring. So do the same for D&D as well. So and Chat mm-hmm. is like saying, yes, they're getting excited. The moment you start talking about it, people are just like, yes, yes. And also just just the the quality of the world, the, uh, the detail, especially the lion bloods. Lion bloods feel so close to my heart because they're based in good tribes. And yeah. I'm just like, yeah, you got us down, man. Yes, we think we are lions. Yeah, we do. <laughs> So in my childhood games in apartheid South Africa, we always gravitated away from lawful characters and our settings often featured corrupted governmental powers. I like that. Because again, it takes you take from what you find familiar, you take from what context you know. So that's quite true. Oh wait, uh, so Shade Splitter says, I, I can't imagine playing an RPG where you actually try to avoid combat. combat. They did that, uh, they did it well in Dishonored. So that's a video game, if I recall. Yes. Yeah, I played it, actually. Oh, yeah. But I don't know. To me, it's all, it's all about the action. So, like, we all have different things. Yeah. And cars is the fine. same thing. No and that's spoilers. fine. I think it's important just yeah, to be able cool. to accept that we have different joys. It's like saying that all movies have to be action movies. It's like, oh, yeah. I watch films, and it's always action and explosion. Why? I mean, you can have action, you can have horror, you can have romance. And people maybe who love love maybe action maybe don't want to watch romance and the other way around. Although to be honest, the best is a mix of everything, but then, you know, it's good to have options. And so D&D currently is mostly action. Let's make it flexible. Let's allow, so even in the Wagada Chronicles, yeah. you can fight everything if you want, but you okay. have the option to romance maybe. Okay, maybe not everything, but lots of things. <laughs> okay, so from chat, I love the idea of trying at the very least to avoid combat in campaigns or at least taking a non-lethal route. That's one of the reasons the monk class appeals to me. There's lots of RPGs where combat is not the main focus, but if you play D&D, combat is its strongest asset, I suppose, yeah. So, although like although like the last game I played with my with a friend of mine Henry Metal who's the DM on that game it's a campaign setting called Onya City that is kind of based on Nigerian sort of sensibilities. And last session um I could have actually handled this like I'm the stealthy stealth person and mm-hmm. I compromised one of our connections um, in a part of town where he really needed to discover. And then he was dragged away by two tieflings. And then instead of thinking to just follow them, I was emotional and really fed up 
So I rushed them, not realizing that I was rushing like head on into two seventh level druids. Yeah, I had I had an emotional reaction and I was annoyed. So I was like, wow, bugger it. I'm just taking out my swords and I'm rushing. I, like put upon it on myself. I brought a majority of my party down to four hit points. Um, uh-huh. They are very vexed at me. Only the two fighters are like still like a decent amount of hit points. We ought to drag them oh. out now. And we've lost one of our major operatives. All because I didn't, I decided to use violence before using stealth. Sometimes even in D&D, it's better not to fight. <laughs> I mean, be- better in a game than in real life, right? Because like, you don't want to go out there starting fights outside the club. And then, <laughs> when, when, like, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I feel like one of two ways. I would either survive prison or like this face will not make it for very long, guys. I don't know. <laughs> so I try to like keep all my legal doings in games. Yeah, you've got to keep that all inside there. It's a good place to exercise that kind of stuff. But also like, yeah, you, yes. know, you know. We need to be smarter least, as well, because like yeah. right now, like two of my party members are very angry at me. <laughs> it's a balance, right? It's about release those energies, but without killing the party, right? Uh, more parties should learn the value of a good rogue during exploration, even if they learn learn the hard way. Yeah, I think like, but rogues can if they go too deep into themselves, they might explore to the to the end of days. So it depends. Like, this has to be a balance yeah. again. Okay, so um, to wind things down. Uh, please tell chat and uh, where can we find you? Where can we follow you in the most legal and safe way possible? Um, you can find me on Instagram. I think that's L that's at L U Lewis Nyao, no hyphen. Same for Twitter at L U Lewis Nyao, Lewis the English way, L U W I S. Um, I'm about, I'm just on Facebook, like I'm super chilled, you can find me anywhere, I'm really relaxed, and I want to talk to all of you all the time. On Twitter, at TB Halflings, or Instagram, at TB Halflings, the great podcast where we talk about diversity and D&D. Oh, also, another podcast that I do is at Tanamaniacs, where it's three lovely POC women who talk anime. So, uh, after 10 years of having an account, I finally learned how to use Twitter. So, you can find me, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter with my name, <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's my name and surname, capital letters. And then additionally, so thanks for reminding me, Unati, like I have a company too. It's the Wagadu Chronicles. It's on Twitter, we have a website as well. Or we have a free like, 300 pages PDF about the setting and 5th edition lore. So you can even play directly straight away if you want. And that makes me very, very happy if you just want to play and just, you know, do your thing and, and make the setting yours. Wagadu is a very flexible place for, you know, all sorts of people. It's very black. But and on top of this, it's very flexible okay. as well. Watch eighty one. Your first time listener, and you loved every minute. Oh, thank and well, uh, enjoy the talk. Okay, so glad you enjoyed it. Okay, guys. Well, uh, what's that? Uh, it's a lovely audience. Lovely audience. Yeah, chat, lovely thank audience. So thank engagement you. and like chatting and discussion. I think people really were yeah t- taking it all in. I love it. Oh, yeah. and uh, so by the way, where can you find me? Like I said, I'm with Dum Dum Die, so uh, you can find us on all our socials. It's spelled D-U-M-D-I-E-D-I-E, Dum Dum Die, and my name is Nelly, Nelly Swa. Miss me Google if you're nasty, I guess. And um, yeah, find us on the socials, and we have a Discord, we have our, we are on Twitch, and we do a podcast every Wednesday. It's pretty cool. Check it out. We're giving a whole chest of loots. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Derp, derp.
Derb, Derb Morgali, Derb Morgali. Thank you for the loot. But thank you guys, and uh, thanks for your time. Good night.